Well, as you know, I've been on a sermon series of the seven signs of Christ, uh, the fact that God has given us a specific uh, paradigm of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, and, and, and the Apostle John wrote about it in the Gospel of John, and we've been studying that. And so today, we are on the fourth sign of the divinity of Christ. That's what this is about. God wanted the Jewish people to understand Jesus is divine. He is the Messiah. And so this is part four of that series, part four of the divinity of Jesus Christ. And so the account today uh, in this fourth sign regards the healing of the lame man. And it is structured almost like a crime drama uh, because it tells about an alleged crime uh, and an ensuing investigation. And ultimately, uh, the Jewish elite will seek to put Jesus on trial. And so what we see here, this begins in John chapter 5, but you will see a deterioration between 5, 6, and 7 in the gospel uh, as Israel becomes hostile towards Jesus uh, and becomes openly rejecting of Jesus. It would intensify in chapter 6 when many of Jesus' followers walked away, you see, unwilling to accept the fact that he is the bread of life. And so they abandoned him, and you see this in the Gospel of John. Finally, chapter 7 sets forth the actual hardening of the authorities as they seek to arrest him. And so really, the outbreak of this hostility begins here in chapter 5 as Jesus triggers the event by walking into the area where a pool is known in Jerusalem by the Sheep's Gate as the Pool of Bethesda. Uh, and so each narrative here gives us an escalating hostility of the Jewish authorities towards Jesus. Uh, the festival here, described in John chapter 5, verse 1, is most likely either the Passover or the Feast of the Tabernacles. That's why Jesus is walking back into Jerusalem. And so he comes through this sheep gate of Jerusalem, and it opens up to a pool called Bethesda which is surrounded by sick people. This is a very sad place. Uh, and the, the Jews believed that if they stayed by this pool, when the waters began to ripple, if they got in, they would be healed. Well, there was no evidence that anybody ever really got healed. Uh, it was a superstition. The, the rippling of the waters most likely was related to the fact that underground streams were putting water into it, uh, and so people who were desperately ill would stay here and wait by the pool day after day and year after year waiting to be healed. And so Jesus now arrives at this pool, and there he meets a man who had been ill for 38 years. Most likely he was a paraplegic. Uh, and so what you see here is in, in this very serious ailment, he's laying there, he can't get into the water, nobody is helping him to get into the water, and he has probably been there his entire adult life. Uh, and so he was powerless, you see, to get himself into the water to get healed, powerless. And so someone always beat him to the pool. And so his days expired in hopelessness. Uh, and on this day, his life was to change forever. And so everything that Jesus does has two meanings. It's not just the physical meaning. 
It's the spiritual meaning. And yes, physically, this man's life was hopeless. But spiritually, his life was hopeless. And so Jesus would change both of those factors uh, on this day. And so Jesus asks the the layman what seems like an absurd question in John chapter 5, verse 6. And Jesus says, Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Well, what kind of a question is that? Uh, Why would not a man who's been ill and paralyzed for 38 years, why would he not want to be made whole? But you see, Jesus would ask a question to expose the inner nature of your heart. What do you really want? Where do you understand you're going? Uh, And are you lost in hopelessness in this world? And do you need a savior? That's what this is about. All of the signs of Jesus, everything you're going to see here in these uh, seven signs, all point to deeper spiritual truths. And so Jesus often asks these kinds of questions to expose the real needs of the people. And so after asking the question, you'll see in John chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus says, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Got to love the Lord, don't you? Yeah, he doesn't beat around the bush. There's no theology 101. If you do X, I'll do Y. If you do Y, I'll do C. No, it's very simple. Take up thy bed and walk under the power of my words. And John chapter 5, verse 9 says, And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. That's Jesus. That's the power of the word of Jesus. You understand Uh, He didn't need to find a way to be politically correct. He cut right to the substance. Take up your bed and walk. Uh, It's amazing. And when you think about it, it it symbolizes the power of God, the display of the glory of God, uh, that his words alone would cause healing. His words alone, alone would do that. Now, this was prophesied, you see, and that's part of what we study here in the signs, the divine signs, because everything that we see has been prophesied before. And the prophet Isaiah had indicated this 700 years before in Isaiah 35, verse 6, and read it. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. What an amazing prophecy that is. This is how you will know your Messiah. The lame will leap like a deer. The lame will be cured, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Now, you would think that the religious elite would know these prophecies, would be aware of these prophecies, but more and more, as you study the Bible uh, and you drill down, you see that they were ignorant. The rabbis hadn't taught this. Uh, For several hundred years, they were without really a deep understanding of the scripture, which is why when the wise men came into Jerusalem looking for where Jesus would be born, uh, the only people that really knew that were the the, uh, advisors to the religious elite who said, oh, oh yeah, we know. Uh, It's Bethlehem. It's just seven miles down the road. Make a right-hand turn. (laughs) And you're not there? And you're not going because you see they had become hardened. Their hearts had become closed. And so as I've laid this out for you, the question is, where 
is the crime. Because a crime is going to be uh, put together here. They're going to indicate a crime. Jesus will be put on trial for this crime. Well, John has a cryptic note at the end of verse 9, where it says, And on the same day was the Sabbath. Can you imagine? Jesus had the temerity to heal a lame man on the Sabbath. God had the temerity to do healing on the Sabbath. And so the the religious elite had become so sold out to legalism, all right, to the manifestation of, of manufactured rules and regulations that they lost sight of God. They lost sight of the will of God. And so because Jesus had the temerity to heal a lame man on the Sabbath, Jesus would be put on trial. And so he picked up his bed and he walked. Well, guess what? There were 39 rabbinic rules about doing some kind of work on the Sabbath. 39 rules. Now, none of them were given by God. These were the rabbis that put these rules and regulations together. Uh, And according to Jewish law, that was work. You picked up your, your mat, you walked. That's work, all right? And no work was to be done on the Sabbath. And you know, when you go back to that commandment, God just made it very simple. Uh, Six days you work, on the seventh you won't, because that day is devoted to your worship of God. Do you think God intended that no healing be done on the seventh day? Do you think God intended that no good work would be done on the seventh day? How absurd to think that this is the will of God. But that's what they did in their blindness. Uh, And so in their, their, their way of legalism, they viewed this as a serious crime, and they were not about to let it go. And so immediately, this, the authorities questioned the layman. Uh, and it's amazing. Nobody asks him, uh, how did you get healed? Oh, oh, you've only been paralyzed for 38 years. We're, we're more interested in who told you to take that mat and walk? Who told you to do that? Can you imagine? You see what happens when we're sold out to legalism? We lose the power of God. We lose the real reason why we're worshiping God. And so the, the lame man deflected the bed, the, the walking to Jesus. He did what he didn't understand. He said, uh, John chapter 5, verse 11, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. It's his fault. He healed me. He told me to get up and walk. Really? All right. Now we got to find out who that guy is because he's going to go on trial. Uh, and the lame man did not know the identity of Jesus. He didn't know who it was. Um, and, and so Jesus did nothing to violate the scriptures. And I want you to understand this. Nothing at all. Uh, these were 39 rules that the Jewish elite had set up uh, that they believed uh, was meant with what God wanted on the Sabbath. Now, I personally experienced with this growing up in the New York metropolitan area, and I've said this before, but when I was in law school, some of my buddies in law school uh, would get work on the Sabbath to go into New York City uh, and to go into apartment houses where they had elevators that were not automatic. And so Jewish people in those apartments would not even press the buttons. So my friends would be hired to press the buttons. 
This is how nuts this gets. You understand? They're over there all day long pressing buttons because they view that as work. Do you see how you lose sight of that will of God? You're missing the Messiah. You're worried about pressing buttons? It goes even further. In those neighborhoods, those Jewish neighborhoods in New York City, they string wire up on telephone poles. The rabbis do it so that the people in those neighborhoods know just how far they can travel on the Sabbath. You can travel anywhere in this wired-off area. And it might, might be, you know, 1,000 feet this way, 500 feet that way. No problem. You can do this. You're not violating the Sabbath. It's all made up. All right, and we know in scriptures uh, that there's a section in scripture which says that on the Sabbath you could pick up your chair, walk so many feet, put the chair down, sit on the chair, and say, This is my abode. And if you waited a short period of time, you could pick the chair up again and walk another 500 or 1,000 feet and say, This is my abode. All of this is man made nonsense. All of it is legalism. All of it is rules and regulations designed to keep you from seeing the will of God. And so here it is. You see it in Jesus purposely healed this man on the Sabbath because Jesus wanted to show how absurd this was. How Judaism had devolved. How Judaism had lost sight of what it had been given and had become eroded. Uh, and we saw that at the temple, and now we're going to see it again. Jesus is repudiating their religiosity. He's repudiating how they worship God, uh, and, and he's making a very poignant uh, statement. And so they pursue Jesus. They go after Jesus, uh, and they eventually arrest him, uh, and they quickly bring him to trial, and they indict him. Uh, they indict him on two serious charges. First, for violating the Sabbath. And secondly, they indict him for blaspheming God. They never questioned him about the healing of the lame man. Isn't that extraordinary? How did you have the authority and power to heal the lame man? No. No, we're not interested in that. We're interested in our own rules and regulations. We're interested in legalism. All right? And that's what we think we want to pursue. That's what we are worshiping. Do you see how Judaism, this great faith from Abraham, had devolved and eroded? And you saw that when Jesus cleaned out the temple, and now you see it again. And Jesus responds to these charges in John 5, verses 17 and 18. What a great statement this is by our Lord and Savior. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Well, how about that? And this is important for you to know because you'll always come across people who will say, well, Jesus never said he was God. Have you read the Bible? Have you even opened the pages? Over and over and over again, Christ says that he is God, that he is equal with the Father, that he pursues the will of the Father over and over and over again. You need to know this. 
and know where it says it. I mean, and so there it is. As Jesus is giving this testimony, they never even questioned him as to how he was able to heal a paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. Uh, and so understanding this, of course God didn't stop on the seventh and do no work. Can you imagine if the creator of the universe said, let's hit the off switch? How's that? Let's hit the off switch. Let's see what happens. All of the gravitational forces in the universe will come to an end. Everything that's being held together will come to an end. We understand that there are interstitial forces where the very atoms uh, of, of structure are held together by the power of God. All of that would stop, and if it stopped, we'd have one massive black hole. There would be nothing. But they didn't even think. They didn't even understand it. They would actually accuse God himself, God himself, of breaking the Sabbath. That's why Jesus said, my father continues to work to this day, every day. The work of God never stops. The work of advancing the gospel of God never stops. That goes on seven days a week. And so Jesus' refusal, you see, uh, to observe the legalistic and man-made Sabbath regulations was a major point of contention between him and the religious elite. Jesus did this over and over again when you study his ministry. He, he proved that they had uh, really uh, devolved on the Sabbath and that they needed to change the way they look. Jesus wanted to confront legalism and the bankrupt state of Judaism and legalism. That's what this was about. Look, this man's condition was not life-threatening. He would have continued to live there for years, but he was constantly at the pool. Had Christ not intervened in that life, who knows how much longer that man would have been there in that paralyzed condition. Jesus showed mercy to him, mercy to him, and at the same time was demonstrating that the laws on the Sabbath had to be broken, that the nation had to come to repentance, that it had to go back to what God wanted them to do uh, by confronting the self-righteous and unbiblical stipulations that led to their illusion of a spiritual life. They had become experts, you see, at substituting their traditions for God's commands. Look at Matthew 15, verse 9, where Jesus says, They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus was implying something there uh, else in these statements. He was saying that he was equal with God and that his works were the work of God. Look, I want you to understand something about well, how strong I feel about these issues of man-made rules and regulations. When we started this church, we determined that this church would be non-denominational. There was a reason why we wanted it to be non-denominational. We didn't want it to be fettered by the rules and regulations of any denominations. I'm not castigating those other denominations. People do it and follow it as they seem fit. But I'm going to tell you, time and time again, you will see that the man-made rules and regulations of many denominations have sunk the church. Sunk the church. Many of you have come out of a church where you saw the church sunk by the, by the imposition of standards that are not in the Bible. Standards where the gospel is defined in a different way. 
taken away from God as if we need different standards than what God said. Do you think the human standards that are articulated by some of these churches because they're part of a denomination or become some super conference indicated that this is what they need, do you think that's going to enhance your worship of God? Jesus said it all. Here's what you need to know. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Period. End of sentence. You understand? Anytime you interpose all these other regulations, you're not advancing the will of God, you're advancing your own personal will. It's become self-righteous, narcissistic worship. That's what you see. And we repudiate that in this church. And just because you're non-denominational, that doesn't mean that you're going to get a, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Because what I've noticed in a lot of these non-denominational churches, they have become what I would call narcissistic. You go into church, it's not church anymore. It's like a circus event. It's like entertainment. You know, you hire a pastor not for whether he preaches the word of God, but whether he can entertain you. Does he jump around the pulpit enough? Does he intrigue you? That's what they're looking for in a lot of these churches, and I repudiate that. Because that's a form of legalism as well. God doesn't want you to worship like that. He doesn't want you to go to a church like that. He wants you to worship God in the pure and unvarnished way. And so you see it here. The Jewish elite really became obsessed with Jesus. Uh, and they knew they needed a capital punishment to get rid of him. And that capital punishment was blasphemy. And so here he is, the son of God being put on trial. Can you imagine the Son of God being put on trial by these people. And so Jesus is defending himself in this tremendous statement here in John 5, verse 19 to 24, where he gives the statement as to who he is and who God is and how he lives his life. He says there, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, uh, gives them life even so the son gives life to whomever he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from life to death. Amen, church? Look at that last sentence. There's the essence of salvation. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. You don't need theology 101. I don't need your 39 rules of regulation. I don't need pages and pages and pages of men-imposed regulation. All I need is the belief in the Son of God. He died for me, and he had my name written in his hand. 
And so here you see Jesus irrefutably claims to be the Son of God. He does the work of God, he indicated. He knows the plan of God. He has the power to give life, and he renders divine judgment. That's the bottom line. It's Jesus who, at the end of time, will be the judge. You will stand before Jesus. He is the judge. Uh, And so each of these claims are authenticated by the healing power of the lame man. He was the son of God. He is the son of God. And so now Jesus will either now give himself up even to their rules. Under Jewish law, it required two witnesses. If you were on trial, you needed two witnesses to validate a defendant's testimony. Jesus could say, I don't need your two witnesses. But the Lord, you see, bends over backwards to try to demonstrate to them how far out of the will of God they were. So Jesus submitted to this law. And so here he says, if I bear witness of myself that it's true, I need more than that. And so Jesus called two witnesses to confirm his testimony. The first witness he calls is John the Baptist, who testified that Jesus was the Son of God. Look at John 1, verse 34. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. They all knew who John the Baptist was. He was well regarded. This is the Son of God. The second witness Jesus called was his father, God himself. Jesus said, and the Father who sent me uh, has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You do not believe God. His word is not in your heart. Uh, And you see this. God the Father had given audible testimony regarding who Jesus was, substantiating him at the baptism. When John baptized him, where the words came out of heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Oh, what an amazing statement that was. But then Jesus even submits more evidence. There's more evidence. The miracles and signs performed by the Lord uh, proved he was the very Son of God. Uh, Look at John 5, verse 36. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that my Father has given me to finish the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. These miracles are not being done because they're magic acts. These miracles are being done to testify the power of God, that I am the messenger who God has sent. That's why they're being done. Uh, And then Jesus, lastly, cited the scriptures as his claim. Uh, Look at John 5, verse 39. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Folks, if the Holy Spirit is not on you, you can read the Bible seven days a week, 365 days a year, and it's only a book. You understand? It's only book. When the Holy Spirit, rather, touches your heart and opens your mind and you see the word of God pouring out, it is not a book. It is the very word of God. They read the scriptures They knew the scriptures, but they were deaf. It meant nothing to them. And so now, after giving this testimony, Jesus 
masterfully turns the tables on the Jewish authority by bringing charges against them. How about that, Lord? You're a great lawyer. The following is a list of charges Jesus filed against them. A, they have never heard the voice of the Father. B, B, they do not have the word of God in them. C, they do not properly understand the scriptures. D, they have rejected God's son. And finally, they do not love God and they have rejected Moses. Rejected Moses? That's right, because Moses said that a greater prophet would be sent and he's here and you have rejected him. And so the Jewish authorities put Jesus on trial uh, for violating the Sabbath and for blaspheming God. However, Jesus turns the tables on his accusers, indicating that they had perverted the teachings of Moses, distorting the Holy Scriptures, and defaming God himself. Uh, And so here's the thing. This is a message that percolates and resonates down to us today. These were religious people. You got it? These were religious people who were violating the word of God. Uh, And so here it is. You're now on trial today because you're reading this account. God holds you responsible for who Jesus is. Jesus has proven to you who he is. You can't walk out of here without understanding you are the son of God. You have to spread this message to others. It's clear and written in indelible ink. You are the son of God. Look, these Jewish authorities had embraced a faith system, but it was a personal, self-righteous, narcissistic faith system. They did not embrace this faith system of Abraham at all. These were not Jews that were following the will of God. And so I ask you today, as a church and as, as Christians, are you concerned with following your personal belief system? Are you? Or are you concerned with following the will of God? Are you concerned with following him and living your life in accordance with him? Look, this account places all unbelievers on trial uh, in a powerful way, just like it did the lame man. Later on, Jesus would come and meet the lame man in John 5, 14, and he would find him. And it says there, later, Jesus found him at the temple And said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. There's the essence. I've cured you of being lame. Now accept who I am and have eternal life. Because there is nothing worse than abandoning eternal life. Look, this story is really metaphorically about us. We're all lame. We're all laying there by the pool. We can't cure ourselves. We can't get away from our malaise. We're lost. We can't be saved unless Jesus comes in and saves us. You understand? You don't have the power or the authority to to heal yourself. You cannot reach out for that. Only through God himself can you do that. Uh, The question for us is the same as the one that Jesus gave gave to the layman. Wilt thou be made whole? And church, I'm going to ask you that question right now. Wilt thou be made whole? Will you embrace him as your Lord? Will you walk with him? Will you accept him? Will you repudiate all of the uh, man-made rules 
and regulations that serve, you know, really circle around religiosity. Jesus doesn't care about religiosity. Jesus doesn't care about your religion. Jesus cares about your faith in God. And so what you see here is no one can put Jesus on trial, only that Jesus allows himself to be put on trial. He is the judge of the universe. And so this is the question that each one of us must answer today between ourselves and God. Lord, you see my heart. I ask you to take all of these influences away from me, Lord. Strip out everything that obstructs me as I walk with you. Don't let me be bound down with religiosity or self-righteousness or rules or regulation. Let me focus on you and what you want me to do as I walk with you. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. That's it. You can throw the rule book out. All those man-made rules are irrelevant. And I pray that this is a message that resonates with you today. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message that you've given us. I thank you for what Christ did 2,100 years ago. I thank you how he has shown us that man-made rules and regulations will drag us down, will not advance the will of God, but will only advance ourselves. We see it here as these religious elites had the temerity to put God himself on trial. Lord, don't let us do that. Protect us. Give us wisdom. Let us walk out of here committed in a more powerful way than ever before to walk with you, to walk away from anything that will drag us down that is man-made and not God-made. As we put all of this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.